up, everybody, and thank you for joining us back here on the Boot Sports Network for another real-time live-streamed episode of Boots to Balls. We are uh, finally all teched out, and we're going to do our level best to uh, outkick our Louisiana sports coverage with you. For all you first-timers joining the stream, I don't know how you felt, but I'm glad you did <laughs> I'm David Storm, Manning, PA announcer, game day host for your New Orleans Saints! Look at that, I can actually do it. That That's sounds first so good. Time sounds good. I like it. I love it. I want some more of it. Joining me, as always, the man with a master hair plan, the Don Wanald himself, Donald Dunn. It is another winning week for some teams, but others, it's time to pack it up. You're not making a bowl. Nah, probably not. We'll get into all that in just a little bit. You guys may have noticed right here these glorious yes. new headsets. We got a little tech upgrade, and uh, we would like to. Uh huh. Indeed, we'd like to say a very special thank you to Ben Stowe and the super amazing customer service crew at NLFX. They are proud supporters of the Boot Sports Network. Whether you're a broadcaster, podcaster, musician, mobile DJ, if you need mics, mixers, speakers, controllers. Headsets, any gear at all, or custom-made cables with lifetime guarantees. Mm. Remember to go Stowe, Ben Stowe at NLFX. That's where we get all our audio gear from. Check them out online at nlfxpro.com for great deals and all your favorite gear with great pricing and financing available on large purchases for qualified buyers. nlfxpro.com. That's nlfxpro.com. Com. Thanks, Ben. And, of course, as we do every week, we'd like to thank the folks here at Echo Tango for your continued support. We're back in our lovely confines after a scheduling conflicts mishap. We do apologize for the audio monster hitting us last week, but now that we are back in our lovely studio, it's gone. Yep. Daddy Only like lives it. on the internet, but thankfully so do we. So, once again, thank you to Echo Tango, Tommy Tally, everyone over here. You want absolutely rock. All right. Now that we've got our preliminary thanks out of the way... We start things off the way we always do, kicking it to the comments. Comments. Because we are live stream, producer Brett is monitoring the comments, I hope. Yep. And he will let us know uh, if you guys have anything of substance to offer. Uh, Y'all can comment whatever you want, but don't be mad if we don't stop the show uh, just because you say hello. Yes. But we will say hi back. Um, Last week... Charlotte Hall, 5767, she gave us some predictions that we will include with our own later in the show when we look back. But before we get into things, uh, she had some comments. Last week was our big talk about LSU Alabama in the the postgame there. She wanted to know how many times has Alabama been behind going into the half and then come back to win. She said she asked because she says she's often heard Saban say that he studies other teams at halftime and then makes adjustments. So I looked it up for you, Charlotte. Yes. Here's your answer. Of Alabama's nine wins so far this season, they were trailing three times at half, and they went into the locker rooms tied twice. So five games, they were either tied or losing. Week three, South Florida, they were tied three at three at the half. They came back to win that one 17-3. Week four, Ole Miss, they trailed 7-6, came back to win 24-10. Week six, Texas A&M, they trailed 17-10 at half, 126-20. Week 8 at Tennessee, they Mm. trailed 20-7 and somehow would magically come back to score 27 unanswered points, win 34-20. 
Uh, and then, of course, week nine, LSU was 21-21 at the half, and then they would win 42-28. to Regarding Nick Saban's halftime adjustments, it's not atypical. Yeah. Uh, in both college and pro football, and likely just about every sport that has a halftime or a break period, you've got people who are paying attention on, on the sidelines or, or off the court or what have you, um, whose job is to say, hey, this is a thing that's happening that we need to change. we exactly. got to account for this, that, or the other. And those get brought up to the coaches. So when you do get to those breaks, they can uh, make those, those changes. Nick Saban is, uh, as much as we hate him, yeah, and we and we do in the local area. He is not a bad coach. He's actually a fantastic coach uh, with a very fat wallet. Yes. Good recruiter. I... <laughs> He's a very good recruiter. Uh, when look what happened, we went to the NFL. Just throwing that out there. Uh, yeah, he was only there for uh, what two, three years, if yeah. even, and then he right back and had but a losing anyway. record the entire time. Anywho, shout out to the Dolphins. Uh, he knows how to make halftime adjustments, or yeah. maybe he makes a halftime trip to the zoo. Who knows? I ATM. Mean, some no, no. He goes. Whoa, whoa. He goes to the zoo. The zoo. Somebody's got to pay to see the zebras. That's right. Um, <laughs> but Brian Kelly and LSU, Dennis Allen, the Saints, they all do it too. Yep. Sometimes their adjustments maybe just not as effective the, as their opponents. That's what I think, honestly. You know, you look at Nick Saban. You know, a long storied coaching career. At this point, you can see the man knows how to lead men. If nothing else. You know, say what you will about his personality, about how he treats players, how he treats the fan bases, but he knows how to get people to do what he says to do. And while we joke about him going to the zoo, we can neither confirm nor deny that he does pay off the refs. Do what you will with it. <laughs> so, all right. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, if you guys have questions throughout the broadcast, please feel free to put them in the comments section. Live chat. Like we said, Producer Brett is monitoring the comments, and we will do our best to get to them uh, as we can. I think we're going to get started with uh, some LSU chat. Want to do it? Yeah, I'll kick us off. All right. So here's the thing I think that we can look at particularly when it comes to, you know, the impact of what this LSU-Florida game was because it was not – one that we've seen in many years in the past where this is determining honestly Florida and LSU is usually a much earlier in the season game this is the first time we've ever seen it this late into November yep so that was a change of pace but what oftentimes this is determining your positioning will one of these teams have a chance at their conference uh, division title in this case it was not what this game was and it wasn't necessarily built out to be but it ended up being a chance for LSU to cement a third Heisman coming into the Lawton room later this fall. And believe it or not, Jane Daniels said, I'm going to put that entire weight on my shoulders and do backflips because the man put up record numbers that aren't even really video game numbers, as we've seen from producer Brett. Those are numbers that are truly just unique in his own category. You know, I'm going to make a comment real quick, a bit of foreshadowing. Will you talk about producer Brett and video game numbers? Mm Mm-hmm. There is something that we're going to get to later on in the program today regarding producer Brett and video games that you may be shocked to find out. Whoa. Truth story. Uh, but when you talk about those numbers, let's actually get into those numbers real quick. Jaden Daniels in the LSU offense amassed 686 total yards of offense. That is the most allowed by Florida in program history. The most that they have ever allowed. Uh, then Jaden Daniels went on to break the LSU record for total yards in a game with 606, which surpassed Rohan Davey, who set yep. the record with 540 against Bama back in 2001. After last week, Jaden Daniels is now the only player 
in FBS history. Let me repeat that for you. The only player in FBS history. Every school, every year, every player on every team. He is the only only one to have over 350 passing yards and 200 rushing yards in a single game, in the same game. He is also the only player in college football history. Let me say it again. The Stay only. The, the only, only player in college, college football, football history. history with 12,000 career passing yards and 3,000 career rushing yards. After last week's performance, he has been named the Maxwell Award Offensive Player of the Week. And somehow, according to the sports books, he's still only third in the Heisman Trophy odds. Friends in the desert are trying to get Louisiana to put some money up at this point. It has to be that. It's got to be that. Because when you break down the stats, there is no way. It makes no physical sense at all for Jaden Daniels not to be leading the conversation. I don't know if you want to go category by category, but this man is absolutely dominating the entire nation. I'd be happy to look at it. Well, I'll tell you what. If there was a Heisman Trophy for podcast stats... I'd be in the conversation because you know I have run the numbers. I know you have. Here are the three favorites. Michael Penix, who has been in it practically all season. Now, for whatever reason, the odds-on favorite is Bo Nix from Oregon. Yeah. Okay. Who? (laughs) What have you done lately? The only thing that I really remember that Bo Nix did with Oregon was he shut up Deion Sanders when Colorado went in there in week four? To be fair, I don't know why, but it seems like they're giving Oregon a lot more credit for that Utah win than I imagined. And, you know, yeah, it was a shutout. Yes, you were able to absolutely dominate a, a ranked opponent. But at the same time, you look at Utah now, it's a barely ranked program, and we're going to give them all that credit for that. So here are the stats. If yes. we're talking about Heisman Trophy and, and personal accomplishments, Bo Nix the book's favorites, 3,135 3, passing yards on the season. Absolutely. All right, not bad. 29 touchdowns, not bad. Not bad at all. Two interceptions thrown all season. Of our three candidates, Bo Nix, Michael Penix, Jaden Daniels, that is the first category that he leads. He is the, the quarterback amongst those three with the fewest interceptions. 87.3 quarterback rating, not stellar. 77.7 completion percentage. That's a winning thing. Among those three, that's the highest completion percentage. But between completion percentage and interceptions, those are the only categories that he leads in. He's only got 121 rushing yards, 3,256 all-purpose yards. All right, let's move on to Michael Penix. We've sure been talking about can. Michael Penix in the all Heisman Trophy season. conversation. All season. All season. 3,533 passing yards. Yep. Leads all three candidates. That's the most passing yards of any of the three candidates. 28 touchdowns. That's less than Bo Nix. Seven interceptions. That is the most thrown of any of the three Heisman candidates. some of those have been in very dangerous parts of his games where he almost ended up losing some to teams he had no business doing so. 85.1 quarterback rating. Yep. The lowest among all three candidates. 68% completion percentage. The lowest among all three candidates. Negative 27 rushing yards. That negative. Jaden Daniels laughs at that. Correct. Jaden Daniels had, he's never had negative 27 rushing yards. That is the lowest among all three candidates. His all-purpose yards, 3,506. Pretty impressive. Uh, it's 
second. Well, no, I mean, no, it's for, it's still first place among the two that we've discussed. Mm-hmm. But now let's talk about your boy Jaden. Jaden. Let's talk about Jaden. A class of his own. Thirty-one hundred and sixty-four passing yards. That's second among the three that we've talked about. It's very respectable. Just barely above Bo Nix. He's trailing Michael Penix a little bit. Thirty touchdowns leads the conversation. Passing touchdowns? Uh, I believe that is passing touchdowns. I would have to. I would have to reconfirm. I will. I don't check know if it's passing now. or all I purpose. Will check that now. But even still, if it is total, it's still more than uh, Michael Penix and and Bo Nix. Four interceptions all season, which is in the middle. Yeah, absolutely. 94.2 quarterback rating. Hmm. The best among the, best. the three candidates. 71.4% completion, which is second place. Okay. 918 rushing yards. Of course, that blows the rest of the competition away. Top 10 leading rusher in the SEC. Correct. 4,082 all-purpose yards. 500-plus more than Michael Penix, who has been at the top of this conversation. And you would be correct. 30 passing touchdowns, 8 rushing touchdowns. So 38 total touchdowns. I mean, your boy is just head and shoulders above everybody else. And those are just those basic stats. Exactly. Jaden Daniels has also the most plays of 20-plus yards this season. Bo Nix has less than 55. Michael Penix has 57. Jaden Daniels, mm. take a stab. Oh, about triple? 76. Yeah. 76 plays of 20-plus yards this season. I don't understand. If, I need someone to explain to me how Jaden Daniels is not the front runner in the Heisman Trophy conversation. You know, I, I can lend some view to that because I was listening to one of the national sports media. Now, to be fair, this is not, you know, the big three, three-letter, four-letter agencies, but it's a pretty well-respected nationally distributed program. And, you know, the he was actually hating on Jane Daniels throughout the entire show, which I honestly had to take a moment and step back. I believe he's naturally a uh, Pac-12 commentator, but... um so you can guess where the Jane hate comes from. But no, his main argument was that when it came to Florida State, Jaden couldn't will him to a win. When it came to Alabama, Jaden couldn't will him to a win. And when you look at his stats, oh, well, those stats don't matter because he's not doing it against the premier competition. However, if we look at his premier competition against those top 50 defenses, he absolutely is dominating both Michael Penix and Bo Nix almost to a combined level. We actually took a look at the graphic earlier today Absolutely. about uh, those quarterbacks against top 50 defenses. Absolutely. Jaden Daniels has outproduced every other quarterback in the conversation. At a mind-numbing level. I can give you some quick details for everyone watching. Bo Nix has one game against a top 50 defense where he put up 250 yards. I'll give him two yards. Two touchdowns, eight yards rushing with a touchdown. Average at best. Yeah. Mediocre. Then Michael Penix has four games against a top 50 defense. He's played a little bit higher quality opponent. 1,300 yards. Sorry. And I'll give, that's giving him almost 40 yards. 1,263. Six touchdowns and three interceptions. That's not very clean. No. 25, negative 25 yards rushing. Sack yards mostly in the NCAA. Oh, yeah. For sure. Jane Daniels, five games, the most of all of them. 1,469 yards passing. So five games, fourteen hundred, almost. We'll say fourteen hundred and fifty yards passing. That is almost three hundred yards a game. Two hundred ninety yards per game on average. Mm-hmm. Thirteen touchdowns, 
and four interceptions. That's almost three touchdowns a game and less than one interception Oh, per but game. don't forget, he also had 486 yards rushing with two touchdowns. Which is almost a 100-yard game every time he goes and plays one of those top 50 defenses. Exactly. It's truly overwhelming at this point. And what we saw against Florida was just a testament to that. An 85-yard rush, a 51-yard rush, as well as hitting you know deep in-coverage passes to Brian Thomas, cutting across the end zone. Malik Neighbors sort of acting as a decoy there, as well as the moments where he was throwing you know deep to Malik and he was getting these bulk yardage. I think Jaden, his game is misrepresented. A lot of people tuned into LSU versus Florida State, and they saw a team that sort of stalled out offensively in the second half. That was their first snapshot of LSU. Then they see LSU and Ole Miss are in an offensive scoring shootout, and then that was the last thing they saw. So they saw LSU can score, but they don't win in big time, and a lot of people turned them off. Then Alabama shows up, Jaden goes out injured, and they say, oh, well, he played good, but it wasn't enough to win. If that's all you've watched this year of Jaden Daniels, you missed the entire story, and that's really a shame for those and people. And let's be honest here. If it wasn't for the refs not calling the targeting call to pull that boy out, when Jane got put back in, the dude who hit him a second time would have been out of the game, and Jane would have been in the game. And does anyone believe if Jaden stayed in that game that else she would have lost? So I'm gonna I am gonna tackle that point in just a moment. Um, here's here's the thing that has bothered me about people confusing individual honors with team honors. Correct. And it happened in the NFL before, oh, right as Drew Brees years. was retiring, there was the conversation of who was the GOAT. Was it Drew Brees or was it Tom Brady? Mm-hmm. And everybody said, oh, it's Tom Brady because Tom Brady's got more rings. Yeah, but how many personal records did Tom Brady have? At the time, not very many. Not as many as Drew Brees did. Yep. Drew Brees had every major quarterback record except for maybe one or two. Yep. How are you going to tell me that Tom Brady is a better quarterback when he holds none of the records because he's got more rings. No, he had more teammates Mm -hmm. to assist him. He could have been a mediocre quarterback with a number one defense and gotten to the, to the Super Bowl. Exactly. I mean, he, he's a good quarterback. Oh yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm not saying that he's not in top five. We have no doubt about that here. And and he continued to play long enough so that he could win the, the, um, the majority of the, 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 the accolades, records, yeah. the records. But at the time, it wasn't even close. And, no. and this is the thing. The Heisman Trophy is an individual honor. And it should be based on individual accomplishment. For it's given to player. a player. Yes. A player. The best player in college football. It's not given to the best team. And should we stress, the best player, not the most popular quarterback, which this award has flirted with in the recent history. Because you see a lot of players that maybe were defensive players that had outstanding stat lines. Running backs. Reggie Bush was one. You can look at that. That had outstanding uh, overall accomplishments. But you ended up seeing the most popular quarterback being the thing that ended up determining who won the trophy. Well, even if you take away the most popular quarterback and you just go to most effective player. Oh, it's by it's far. It's Jaden Daniels by far. Yeah. He is the leading rusher on the team. He is an outstanding passer. He has more yards in every category than just about every other member of the offense except That's for right. receptions because he can't throw the ball to himself. And let's be fair, as those who cover the team weekly here as we have all season, I'm deathly afraid of what this LSU team would have been like without a Jaden Daniels. Well, we're going to find out next season. That's true. I think we're looking at a losing record with this group of characters that we've had this season. 
I think Nuss would have taken you very far in a lot of games. He would have kept it competitive in a lot of games. I think Nuss could have won us at least seven. Overall, throughout the entire season, I think potentially. But With this look, record? You I look at seven. that Arkansas game, I don't think Nuss wins that Arkansas game. We were getting marched up and down the field on. Jaden had to complete four-play four drives for 75 yards. You take a look at the game against Auburn where you had to not only accomplish the fact of working with what at the time was a diminished defense, but you had to continue to outscore Auburn when they were having these close moments. Probably that's one Nuss takes away. So if you cut between that line there, I think you're at a situation where if you aren't scoring these 40 points that Jaden puts up every single week, which by the way, LSU fans, I should mention, please don't expect this every year. No. Please do not. This is a generational talent. Generational, unique moment. We need to appreciate it while we have these two games left in the regular season because it's going to be starting <laughs> a big Donald, change. What I think you're forgetting is all the Jaden's detractors at the beginning of the season and of how they said that, you know, we need to replace him with Nuss. If Jaden's done this much for the team, what would the Nuss bus have done? That's what I'm saying. It's going to be a fun year next been year. He would have 50,000 touchdowns. Yeah, you need to to sit down and reevaluate how you feel about the New Orleans Saints this year. Oh my, yes. because that's probably going to be how you feel about the LSU Tigers next year. Yep, it, you're used to you Drew Brees and you are switching and you're going to a different franchise quarterback. I, I gotta say, I gotta say, there's rumors that Arch Manning, because Quinn Ewers is staying at Texas. Thank you for saying this. Might yes. um come throw himself into LSU. the portal. He's from NOLA. I'm I'll, just saying. I wouldn't be mad. That, I would not be mad at Art, that at all. Arch Manning, baby, let's go. Garrett Nussmeyer would be mad at that. Yeah, I Garrett, would not be mad at hey, that at all. Yeah, we'll have to see how that goes. But, um, you know, I think overall, LSU put up a great performance against Tulane. They have a nice game against Georgia State coming up this week, which is please stat pad, Brian. Yeah. Talking to you, Brian Kelly. Please yes. stat pad. Because we talk about Jane Daniels, and he's a very important part of the team. He's probably going to win Heisman Trophy. But did you know Malik Neighbors is only 283 yards away from becoming the number one receiver in LSU history? I did not. So you have he's two games. considered for the Blinnikoff, right? He is. Yes, he is. I, I would hope so. But we he know. Should be, but I think we know who that award's going to, and it isn't Malik Neighbors. It's uh, someone who had a very famous dad. It's a damn shame. Yeah. But um, because, to be fair, the leading wide receiver for touchdowns, Brian Thomas. The leading wide receiver mm-hmm. for receiving yards, Malik Neighbors. Yet somehow huh. the Blitnikoff might not be going to them. That's a damn shame. A damn shame. So, so I, I just want to leave with this. There is no reason Jaden Daniels should not be top of the conversation. Oh, absolutely. No one has done more for any team in college football than Jaden has. And if you want to look at um, – Notable quarterbacks yes, who that have, have won the Heisman with multiple losses with three or more losses. Caleb Williams last year, USC went eleven and three. Lamar Jackson, who Jaden yeah. Daniels is consistently compared to. Twenty sixteen, he was the Heisman Trophy winner out of Louisville, nine and four. They went. RG three from Baylor in twenty eleven went ten and three. Yep. And won the Heisman. And should I just throw the two thousand seven Tim Tebow? Oh yeah. Huh? Nine and four. So we could continue talking about the Jaden Heisman Trophy for till the another cows come home. Yep. four days. We, we, yeah, let's transition. I have said my piece. Let's transition. I want to talk about the targeting hit. Uh, so, against Alabama, Dallas Turner hits Jaden Daniels, and that's not targeting. No. Brian Kelly makes the refs look at it again. They say, oh, it's not. He sends the play tape to the league office and asks them to review it, and nothing comes of it. However, 
this past week, LSU's Andre Sam is flagged and ejected for targeting. Now, before I say my piece on that, I would like to reference a video of Brian Kelly addressing that call at a post-game press conference that got reposted on TikTok by local ESPN sports radio host Matt Moscona. If you would, we're going to take it right quick to the, the boot screen. screen. When you have a situation like we did, where Jaden Daniels gets hit underneath the chin, driven to the ground, uh, and is concussed, um, and it doesn't get reviewed, and then we have a play like tonight, which was a normal football play where a running back is lowering his shoulder, and we are trying to make a tackle. We're not targeting. We're not trying to lead with the helmet. We're just trying to make a tackle. We throw a kid out of the game. That is tragic. We're, we're in a bad place right now. And we, we need to stop and figure this out. Because there's a lot of words I could use, but it's tragic that we threw a kid out of a game because he was trying to play football. And you, whatever semantics, there's going to be a great explanation about this. Oh, he used the crown of his helmet, or he did this, or he did that. He was playing football. Last week, that guy that hit Jaden Daniels was trying to knock him out. You can say whatever you want, but that's what he was trying to do. Our guy was trying to make a tackle. So everybody's smart enough to figure that out. But we have two different outcomes. we got to figure it out. So I would like... I'm going to say what Brian Kelly wanted to say. Yeah. And didn't. Go ahead. That call, he said it was tragic. There's other words you could have said. It was bullshit. Bullshit. It's bullshit. We discussed the definition of that penalty last week here on the show. To target oh, yeah. refers to aim, attention to a target, identifying a potential point of impact. That was two players playing exactly. against LSU. A you non-defenseless played, player. It was a non-defenseless player, first of all. And I, I, looking back at it, I don't even believe, uh, this was a couple days removed, I don't believe he was hit. With the, the crown. That, but this, it was a shoulder pad. It was the crown to this the shoulder pad. This yeah. ain't the first time Bama's gotten away with targeting against an LSU player either. No. This, this happens but, almost every year. And I would say that it is a bounty gate level scandal that should be investigated. We don't talk about that in, in, in this state, Britt. We don't talk about that. That's, <laughs> but it's a, that's the truth. false it, allegation. It's, it's the truth. It's a very it, sensitive it, subject. It's very, it, it's very true that every year Bama, not just LSU, gets away with hella targeting. And then every year. People make their YouTube compilations and complain, and coaches go, well, that's tragic, and nothing happens. And why? Because the broadcasters, wish I had the tinfoil hat this episode, I don't, but the broadcasters like Alabama, because they're the more marketable national team, and they want to see a rematch between Bama and Georgia, because it's more marketable in the same way the broadcasters just set an 11 a.m. kickoff for Texas A&M. They have too much power in the sport, it's time to kick him out. I'm going to say that I believe the penalty of targeting needs to be redrawn. reevaluated and redrawn. If you want to call it targeting, there needs to be an aspect of malice yes. that leads to ejection. I don't believe that it is fair for you to call targeting on a player playing football making incidental contact. 
you played football. Yeah, we, I, I played football. Yeah. You know when you're being taught football at a young age, you especially if you are someone who has to make a tackle, mm-hmm. if you are someone who has to block, if you are someone who has to try to shake off a block. Exactly. When you're talking about impact, the very first principle you're taught is low man wins. Mm-hmm. That is the fundamental principle of contact in football. Yep. If you're going to run beyond somebody, you have to have a lower center of gravity when you make impact with the person trying to stop you. Absolutely. And if they want to stop you, they have to have a lower center of gravity than you do. So everybody is trying to get down as low as they can. And when you do, and if I get out of frame, I'm sorry. Yeah. You're going to lean forward. It's yeah, a there natural is, there, human There's only reflex. one way you can move that spine, and it's going to be down. Correct. And and when you are moving forward and lowering yourself, much less when you have a five pound weight on your head, and and you are bracing for an impact, or you have decided that you are going to make an impact. Exactly. If you're the running back and you're going to run forward through Who the also through leans the head forward, correct. Yeah. Why wasn't it targeting on him? Why is it only isn't targeting it, when it goes against a ball carrier? Isn't it interesting that right after that play, too, the player that clearly targeted does this he looks back like he's waiting for the refs to call on him and he's even does like a little shrug so i here's the thing i'm not i am not going to blame uh the player i am no i'm not i'm not i'm not gonna throw the blame on the player because like i said i really honestly believe it was two players playing football yeah that was a football play i'm going to blame the refs I'm 100% going to blame the refs. And I'm going to say this. It would not surprise me at all if there was an expose story that came out in the next couple of days that said leaked information. There was guaranteed proof that there was some sort of goofy-ass referee union that got together and got pissed off by all the things that Brian Kelly did trying to hunt down that targeting call against Alabama so they decided that they were going to penalize him for one as soon as they saw an opportunity. Because that won't happen because so. the media is on the ref. Well, no, 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 hold on, hold on. You're not, not going to happen. You're not hearing what I'm saying. I'm saying it wouldn't surprise me if that was if that was the referees going. Oh, well, he thinks he knows. He's going to send it up this way. It, Let me show him what it is. It's the same thing that happened to and, Sean Payton yep. after the no call. They got the rule for pass interference changed and reviewable, and nobody got screwed by that rule more than Sean Payton and the New Orleans Saints the next season before they threw it out the window. And it's not only that. You look at what this is. It's sports, and there are unwritten rules of sports. And as much as we think the rules only apply to those playing on the field, I think it's fair to say that it also applies to those who officiate the game and they have unwritten rules and codes of conduct with coaches now to be my to be mindful i do not think brian kelly was fined for his comments regarding the alabama game Mm-mm. that would have easily happened in any of the professional leagues you would have gotten that fedex package everyone loves to talk about so much because he did he was yeah. it was hypercritical and that it was it was hypercritical but it 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 walked the line it did walk the line so what's to say that you don't just throw a flag that walks the line to say, okay, if you want to play that game or you want to talk about us, we'll show you what we can do. And that's, look, I understand that, but is that the place to show up in the first half of a game? Sure, thank you, refs, for not doing it and getting him out of this first half of Georgia State. That's much less impactful, a half of SEC football versus a half of a barely Sunbelt competent team. Thank you so much for that. 
Here's my problem with that. Put yourself in the cleats of the player ejected. Oh, absolutely. Put yourself in Andre Sam's shoes. He's doing what he was trained and coached to do. And he knows he didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. We know he didn't do anything wrong. Kicked out of the game for making a football play. And that's, I think what you were saying earlier was the clearest part of it. If you want to create a penalty that is a improper tackling on the defense where they lean with the crown of the helmet and that's a five-yard automatic first down, I think that's fine. If there's no malice like you were speaking to. If you want to say, hey, you dropped your head too low, we saw that, that's improper tackling, five-yard automatic first down. I don't care if you make it a 15-yard penalty. Yeah. If you really want to try to, to coach that out of football – where you have these violent head-to-head shots, you want to make it a personal foul, a 15-yard penalty, that's fine. Same nature I think as like a horse ejection, collar. ejection for the same penalty I'll, I'll you, has to be based on which, malice in the hit. Yeah, go ahead, Producer Brett. I'll tell you what my papa told me many years ago. If you really wanted to, you could call every play holding in football. Absolutely. Every single one. Absolutely. And the what's important is the refs step in on the plays where someone might get hurt. That's what he's there for. Because I told him, I was like, isn't that holding that holding? And he's like, no, only will it will only matter if plays get hurt. Because that's what the refs are there for. And that's it will, what the it can change the impact only of the game against exactly. the team you're trying to screw. And, and the issue is, is that now you have refs who don't care about who gets hurt. They care about the impact of the game. And I said in our last episode, but the audio got screwed up. But when you look at the power these broadcasters have where they could destroy conferences like the Pac-12, what could they do to one ref? One ref, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm just going to say this because every year we see it. Every single year we see compilation after compilation of, oh, Alabama got away with this. Alabama got away with that. Don't believe me? You're on YouTube. Watch us. But after our episode, type in Alabama ref, C-O-M-P, comp, and you will find... Hours upon hours of them getting air call. And I get it. The detractors will say, well, you know, Alabama technically, statistically has more calls on them than any other team in the SEC. That's true. But they don't have the ones that matter. Yep. It, it, referee. It's a hard job. I'm trying to think of the right word. and Referee protocols, referee etiquette, whatever. That's a topic that we could do an entire week of shows on. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm just saying we see you. It's bullshit. That wasn't targeting. The whole damn world knows it wasn't targeting. The whole damn world knows that that call was a referee-based vendetta. And if it wasn't, I dare you to publicly apologize. Yeah. Publicly apologize. Say you're sorry. You got it wrong. The fact it, wouldn't, it wouldn't change the anything. The majority but. of the people in this country who watched that video, including friends of mine who I hate to admit are my friends, that are Bama fans and all agree that it's targeting and a head football coach can send this up to review to the NCAA and nothing is done about it is a tragedy. No, uh, that's what Brian Kelly said. He said it was tragic. It's bullshit. Yeah, All it's right. bullshit. We could, we could keep talking about that, but it's it's beating a dead horse. We need to move on because um, we still got a lot more show to talk that's about. Right. We got Saints. We got Pels. We've got other basketball coverage. We got other sports to cover, too. But, but before we get out of the college arenas, Tulane, they Tulane. held on yet again to advance to 9-1. and one. They had a very close 24-22 win over Tulsa. They jumped 
uh, up to 17 in the AP Top 25, 24 in the CFP. And now for the third straight week, they've barely gotten by conference opponents that they should have easily handled to advance to 9-1. and one. They are still undefeated in AAC play. A shout-out to Shedro Lewis, who took the second-half kickoff 100 yards Ooh, to the house, to put the wave up 21-10. to 10. It was the only two-lane touchdown of the second half. Valentino Ambrosio put the final three points on the board for the wave in the fourth. Thankfully, the two-lane D was able to stop the surging hurricane by holding off the game-tying two-point conversion with three minutes left. Tulsa was three and six going into this game. Yeah. Tulane's remaining opponents are four and six FAU, mm-hmm. who they play this weekend, and seven and three undefeated, six and zero oh in AAC play UTSA. And they're still concerned about eight and two SMU, Absolutely. who's not on the Tulane schedule, who is also undefeated in conference play. And if Tulane has suddenly forgotten how to play defense, they're in trouble. I mean, UTSA by themselves could do the job, but if you get up against the ponies, well, they've been scoring this year. It's going to be quite a unique game for the Wave. You know, shout out to the two-lane defense. We've talked about you all year. You continue to hold when it's time to hold. It's now time for Michael Pratt to show that he has that offensive potential, that offensive juggernaut skill set that you need to be able to, you know, take these games over, to be able to lead a team. And that's very important. Yep. Indeed it is. All right, we're going to step away. We'll talk more about Tulane when we come back and we start our predictions later on in the episode. But before we get to our pro coverage, Family Promise of St. Tammany Parish, they want to give you $10,000. Family Promise is an organization that provides shelter, help, and hope for families on the North Shore that can't do it alone. So for only $25 from now until December 15th, you can buy tickets for their fourth annual Family Promise Raffle. Starting November 1st, they'll draw for amazing daily prizes and all daily winners remain eligible for their $10,000 grand prize drawing on December 15th. Who knows? If you bought your tickets, you may be a daily prize winner already. The more tickets you have, the better your odds. So make sure you get yours now at fpstp.org. That's F-P-S-T-P, Family Promise, St. Tammany Parish, fpstp.org. And once again, thank you all for joining us on this live episode of Boots to Balls. It is a unique opportunity that we've waited so long to be able to share with you. And as you may have noticed, we're seeing an equipment upgrade. And that is partially due to all of your support. As you continue to show us what you want to see, how you love to support us, we're able to share that back directly with you. When it's the quality of show, it's a quality of our entertainment content, and we thank you so much for your support. But it happens whenever you take the opportunity to hit the follow button hit the subscribe button down below hit that bell button as well get a notification when we are live streaming just like tonight and you can do that all through the boot sports network head over to our website bootsportsnetwork.com there's a contact section up there and you'll be able to go directly and message us you have comments you have things you want to suggest send it over there we'll send it in an email directly to us you don't have to share any information you don't want to and we can get all the information to help you get everything you want out of the bootsports network once again take a moment share us with your friends and hit the follow button down below on the bootsports network indeed all right moving on we got pro coverage to get to. The Saints are still first in the division. Yeah, but. But. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. They dropped to 5-5 five and five after getting schlacked 
in Minnesota. I, I say they got shellacked. They got shellacked in one quarter. Yeah. The second quarter was just an absolute beatdown. And outside of that, I think if the Saints didn't play, if the Saints only played the first, third, and fourth quarters, they'd have won that game. I believe so. Uh, but the second game, Josh Dobbs, TJ Hawkinson were unstoppable. Just absolutely. Every single play, the connection was unbroken. Yep, and, and they knew it was coming, and they still couldn't stop it. TJ Hawkinson had 11 receptions for 134 yards in that game, over 100 of those yards in the first half. Saints trailed 24-3 at half after a 21-point second quarter. Saints defense figured out finally how to stop Minnesota. They held them to three second-half points only, but by that time it was already too little too yeah. late. The Saints have a bye week this week, thankfully, because they left Minnesota very, very beat up. Very. Wide receiver Michael Thomas, cornerback Marshawn Lattimore, left with what Dennis Allen called fairly significant injuries. Mm. They're still waiting on some second opinions, so they haven't really released what those injuries are yet, but they are said to be fairly significant. Fairly significant. Let's sidebar for, on that for a second. Mike Thomas injured again. Again. Third season in a row. If this is another season-ending injury for Mike Thomas, I think it's time to cut the cord. You do. I think it's time we let him go. People were talking about, oh, we got to get rid of him. We got to trade him. We got to blah, 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 blah last season. I was like, no, we can't. We are entirely too much into him. Yeah. Nobody will take him for what we have into him. It's it's like trying to trade in a car you'd be upside down on. It's just a bad business deal. Now, I think it's about time. He has spent the majority of the last three seasons injured. It would free up a ton of cap space if they can get out from underneath him, and it might open us up to some additional draft picks or higher draft picks than we exactly. already have. And that's the one thing with the Michael Thomas trade that is so unique if it were to go down. He restructured his deal this last season. So while this year it's looking like he may not cost the Saints very much money from the perspective of he's not going to meet his incentives at the pace that he's currently on to get back to what he was at a one-time NFL record-setting contract, the fact is I don't know what he would be available for on the open market because the Saints would have to re-sign him to a long-term deal before pushing him out to any other team, much less the fact the trade deadline has already passed for this season, so you wouldn't be able to move him until the offseason at the very earliest, which yep. is going to be a very hectic time for this franchise, I think. There's a lot of decisions that have to be made as far as how we're going to restructure. Is this still a win-now team, or is this a team that needs to get younger for a moment to be able to build a sustainable future? <laughs> and let me tell you, a lot of people in Louisiana would like to see one very young man come in and play a certain position. We don't need to mention him. We already have this episode. but I'll tell you why it won't happen in just a minute. Absolutely. So as the Saints come into the bye week, we saw the game against Minnesota. We saw... You know, and before Michael Thomas's injury, let's be very clear, this has been a down season for Michael Thomas. Totally. For someone who has been... Statistically st- speaking, this, yes. that's not just our opinion. Who has been objectively healthy, this is a very down season. Now, a lot of people will blame who's throwing him the ball. Sure, go ahead, do that. But the fact is, Chris Olave, who is, I suppose you can now say definitively, wide receiver one is also, while still on pace to have a very good season, not on any world-setting numbers, Rashid Shahid, who has come in thankfully to be you know, the deep speedster, is getting his, but at the same time, where's our mid-game? You're seeing check downs to the side to Alave. Check downs to Kamara. Check downs or to Or Jamal Kamara, Williams. Or Jamal Williams. And then you see a deep ball to Shahid. 
Every once in a while, he'll throw he'll throw anywhere from a ten to twenty yard pass to a Taysom or a Juwan, exactly, or and whoever's the, in it, tight end, Foster tight Morrow, play. yeah. So. But then, you know, for someone who once led the league in catches, that's just somebody that isn't going to be in the rotation as much. And we've seen Michael Thomas get the ball thrown to him, and things go, you know, questionably. He's drawn a few good pass interferences this year, showing his veteran presence. But at this point, it seems like that's the most valuable part of him to this current offensive flow is his veteran presence. And that, we now have to question, after his current set of altercations. Yep. Uh, and I think that's going to be a thing. This is going to be a very interesting offseason for the Saints. By far, I think, the most one in recent years. Yep. Uh, stay glued to your Saints news outlets because I know we're going to be uh, – we'll yeah. be glued to all of it and we'll be posting things as it goes. But – I think there's going to be a lot of changes in the off season, yeah. and I think Michael Thomas could be one of the first big changes that you hear about. Derek Carr went and got himself knocked out in the third quarter. Uh, he had a shoulder injury that said to be less severe than the concussion that he suffered on mm. the same hit. Thankfully, he can go through concussion protocols. Yep. He will be back. With an extra week. They say that the, the shoulder is not going to be a big deal. So he'll be back in time for the Atlanta game coming up after the bye. Correct. Uh, Dennis Allen said, Derek's our guy. He is our, our starter. Jameis Winston took over, took the Saints into the end zone twice with Alvin Kamara, who didn't really have a lot of production uh, in that game. Uh, Alvin Kamara scored two-point conversions after both touchdowns. Jameis did also throw two interceptions towards the end of that game, mm-hmm. keeping the Saints from scoring a potentially game-tying touchdown. Now, of course, all the Boo Birds are out, yes. and they're clamoring. They want to see Jameis take over for good. Uh, and that's what I heard a lot of coming out of that game. And then I heard people talk about, well, Derek Carr needs to stay on the sidelines. We got to do this. We got to do that. So here's what I did. Okay. I put up a poll. A poll. I put up a poll, put it up on my socials. I put it up on our on the Boot Sports socials. And I asked the question, who should be the Saints QB1? Let's take a look at the boot screen, and here are your results. Derek Carr with 28% of the votes. Jameis Winston only got 14%. Now, these are only our listeners, our our followers. So, this is not necessarily indicative of the entire sports nation, those guys. Yeah, the ones that you can't say. Correct. Uh, Now, Taysom Hill at 57% of the votes, which I find very interesting. Very The tight end, right? The tight end quarterback, Taysom Hill. Wide receiver. So, here's why that's never going to happen. It won't happen. Taysom Hill will not be quarterback one. I'm not saying he won't be a starter. I'm saying he won't be quarterback one. He could be a starter, especially if everybody else gets injured. Absolutely. Taysom as a starter in his career as a Saint has had eight games as a dedicated starter. And if you think I wasn't going to go back and look at the stats, then you don't know me too good. That's right. He's 146 for 231. 63.2 completion percentage. Seven touchdowns, six interceptions. His highest passer rating was 108.9 with an average rating of 83.2. He's taken 22 sacks. Those are Taysom's numbers. In case you're wondering, for competition's sake, here's Derek's stats this season. He's 220 of 334. 65.9% completion. Neither one of those are good percentages, but Derek's is better. 10 touchdowns, 4 interceptions. Better on both. 
89.8 quarterback rating. Not stellar, but better than Taysom. Better than Taysom. Taking 21 sacks in 10 games versus Taysom's 22 and 8. Again, statistically better in every category. I don't know what else to tell you, but the quarterbacks, the, not the quarterbacks, yeah. the coaches are going to look at the numbers. It's about production. Who is producing more? If you have three mediocre quarterbacks that are producing, yeah, yeah. who are you going to put in there? The fans think that Taysom Hill can be a starting quarterback a la Lamar Jackson and do all the things that he does he when he cannot. enters the game for eight plays under center in a, in a game. Yeah. No, no. Those are trick plays. Wild Those cat. are wrinkles. Those are things anticipated to keep the defense on their heels. Yes. Fans think, well, well, if he does it all the time, then the defense is always on their heels. No. no, they're not. No, they're not. They will figure out how to stop Taysom Hill. And Taysom Hill cannot be that guy all game, every play. And dare I say... He will get his ass knocked out. Dare I say it's because, as you've looked at the Taysom Hill experiment across the years, Taysom's best game as a starter is usually his first, but after he gets multiple and sequential and there's some film on the guy, it starts to become very easy for coverages to form around his play style, and that's whenever you start to see a few more interceptions come up and the production come down as a passer. Taysom is a football player. And yes. one who may backdoor into the Hall of Fame he, due to the nature of him being a football player. He's already in. I believe so. No, he is. He already he, is. He's, he's they in already right sent now. his stuff, and it's already Yeah, in right Kent. now he's in Ken. But um, look, I don't know if you can say, okay, let's put in Taysom, and then expect anything more than Jameis Winston's most average game. I don't think that's realistic. I don't think that's something that's uh, really to be expected. So... At that point, you then have to step up and say, look, Derek is going to get you a top 20 quarterback in the league performance. Jameis is going to get you a top 25 quarterback in the league performance. The question is, should we be paying any of these people $150 million? Mm. Is it worth the cap for top 20 in the league for Derek or Jameis? I don't because, know that they've earned that kind of because money. Because you've discussed, and I think this is getting to where we're going with our next point here before we transition out. I think you look at where the Saints quarterback room is. You talk about trade assets. Right now, the highest level trade asset, theoretically, is Derek Carr. Yeah, but they're not going to trade him because they're in too much in him. Exactly. They're in for three more years. So then you look at Jameis who had a great trade asset whenever they were debatably going to send him to the team we're playing today, or this last weekend here with the Minnesota Vikings. They chose not to. They said, no, James is more valuable as our backup. And so that, be, was, that was rumored. I don't know rumored. that that ever actually went into the Saints organization. I think there the was Saints a discussion. I think there might have been a discussion. I, I can neither confirm nor deny, I but I am leaning very heavily on the – that mess was never discussed. Mm. So even at that point, let's just say if that's what Jameis' highest value is, an emergency replacement for a starter. Then you look at it overall and you say, okay, so you have a starter who's at best going to keep you in the playoff hunt. Then you have a starter who will play very good, very eccentric, a lot of energy, but he's going to be 50-50, passes the touchdowns, which we hoped was going to be resolved whenever he had the eye surgery and that that was the key that we've been waiting on this whole time and, you know, all the offseason rehab, but he's still playing like Jameis. Yeah. 
So Jameis is Jameis. Jameis is Jameis. And he's going to continue to be Jameis. And that's why Jameis is not going to be the starting quarterback. Jameis is not a bad quarterback, but if Jameis gets behind, Jameis gets frantic. Yes. Jameis makes mistakes. That's what happened at the end of the Minnesota game. Jameis was doing fine moving the ball. Yeah. Racked up a bunch of yards, got us in the end zone a couple times. And then the clock started running out, and he was like, well, we got to go. We got to go. We got to do. And we got to do. And he tried to force it, and he threw interceptions. That is textbook vintage Jameis Winston. Winston. Yeah. And I, I don't dislike Jameis. Love Jameis yeah. a lot. He's fantastic when the Saints are, have a fantastic lead, and he's got cushion mm-hmm. going into the end of the game. That He is not your every down quarterback. That's and a- that's why he won't be QB1 either. And that's the thing. I think when you look at his play style, more than anything, he is, first of all, the past couple of years, Jameis has been coming in largely without a game plan centered around him. We can start with that. Besides that, Jameis particularly this year has been put in situations where the Saints are down, excluding Green Bay, where he had a small lead. You come in, You look at the situation where he comes in here in Minnesota. He comes in, he scores his touchdowns, and we say, oh, that's great. Look at Jameis. He's bringing energy. That's when the fans start getting the mind to go, and they're like, oh, wow, that could really save the Saints. This is what they've been waiting for all year. Yeah, this is what we need. But then, of course, tragedy strikes. You get put into a weird third and down. There's a you know a play that comes back, be it a false start, something like that. You get pushed back. Now Jameis is thinking, I need to get my yards. And you look at what he's getting called into the booth, be it from Pete Carmichael, and he's getting sent a play to say, you got wide receivers downfield, feel free to use them. And when he goes downfield, he goes downfield. Yep. Not with a complete reckless abandon. I think Jameis is a smart enough guy to know I can't just throw it down there. But he says, I'm going to make my play partially because this is my chance to get back as a starter. And it's a weird position to have the man in. I think Derek's going to be back for Atlanta, but I think it's going to have to be a real heart-to-heart because we talk about Jane Daniels playing for the Saints just like people talked about Joe Burrow playing for the Saints. One was a lot theoretically more realistic than the other, but at the same time, it's going to have to come down to Mickey. It's going to have to come down to everyone else, Dennis up in that booth that says, hey, let's look at this from a managerial perspective. What are the Saints with Derek Carr quarterback versus what are the Saints when we use our resources to get a big-name young guy, which could also, like we're seeing with Bryce Young, a Heisman Trophy quarterback, end up with the Saints at 1-2. and two. Oh, Sorry, 2-10 you know, or any of these weird records that isn't common in New Orleans. And you think the Boo Birds are out now for 5-5, five and five, first in the division, wait till the Boo Birds come out mm-hmm. for a dead last in the NFC. So I want to I talk about that point. Jaden Daniels potentially in black and gold. Throw Michael Penix in there, any of these guys that are first-round quarterbacks. Never happen. It'll never happen. Let it go. Get the thought out of your head. Get the words out of your mouth. It will never happen. They will not draft Jaden Daniels. They will not draft Michael Penix. They will not draft Bo Nix. They will not draft any quarterback in the first round. They historically don't, first of all. That's very true. You know who the, the the last quarterback the Saints drafted in the first round was? This is a great trivia question. Everyone listen up. Uncle Archie. Yep. 
back in 1971. That was the last quarterback the Saints drafted in the first round. Otherwise, years. the earliest quarterbacks ever drafted ever drafted were in the, about the third or fourth round. Yeah, they just don't. They statistically do not do it. First of all, second of all, you've just drafted Jake Hayner mm-hmm. to learn the offense. Realistically, he's going to end up probably like Ian Book. He's going to get waived next year in the trade bait, something like that. Something. Or they're seeing something in him that's worth cultivating. And then maybe they'll draft another quarterback, late round draft, to be next year's Jake Hayner. Mm-hmm. And maybe they use Jameis for trade. Maybe Jameis does find himself somewhere else next season. Derek Carr is not going anywhere. I hate to tell you. If you don't like Derek Carr, I don't care. That's what's for dinner. Eat it or go hungry. That's just what it is. As long as Dennis Allen is head coach, and I know that there are some people out there that don't like that either. But let me tell you, right now, 5-5 five and five and first in the division is progress over last season. Which it is. That's what the front office is looking for. And I'm not saying that as an office guy. I'm saying that as, as a fan who just gets it. Yeah. If he's doing better this season than he did last season, even if it's not 14-3... and three, Progress is progress. Progress is progress. They're not going to let him go. And if he's progressing, doing the things he wanted, and I know, I know, this is the thing I do know from inside sources, that Dennis Allen wanted Derek Carr a year ago. Exactly. And he, they couldn't make it happen until this year. You could say it's a part of the plan. It was a part of his plan. It was 100% a part of Dennis Allen's plan. Yeah. And he made that work. He was able to roll the dice, got Derek Carr in. Is it the season that fans want? No, it's not. It's not going to be. You don't have Sean Payton. You don't have Drew Brees. Everything is different. We are 5-5. Five and five. It's not spectacular. We're a 500 yep. team. But we are at the top of the division by half a game. We're to buy. Yeah. We could end up a half a game behind, depending on how Tampa Bay plays this weekend. Yep. We'll see. Or our division could continue to suck because Tampa Bay is only a three-win team. Yeah, They could lose, and then we could be a game and a half going into Atlanta and really set ourselves up nicely. Mm-hmm. I still think that the Saints are probably going to lose at least two more games this season. Very likely. So that's 10 and 7. My original prediction was 11 and 6. Yeah. It's possible, unlikely. And since you're here, I was going to ask you, you know, you look at the Saints remaining 7 games. One is against a opponent greater than you in record, the rest are against opponents lesser than you in record. Hypothetically, if we play the short game, the Saints should go 6 and 1, 11 and 7, which I think if the Saints are 11 and 7, everyone in New Orleans, while they might have an opinion, would largely have to say, I'm going to go down and buy the you know NFC South Championship shirt and be at the Superdome when we're hosting a playoff game in January. Mm-hmm. I think that's the reality. And nobody in the division, sorry, in the organization, is going to complain about, we just sold a bunch of NFC South Championship shirts and we're selling playoff tickets in January. But you know what the shame of it is? People will still find a way to complain oh, about absolutely. those t-shirts. Absolutely. I, I've been telling people... For weeks now, when it comes to Saints football, temper your expectations. Yes. It's not, it's not what you are used to. We, the era of Sean Payton, Drew Brees, 
It was the era of Bill Belichick, Tom Brady. Over. And it is come. Done. It is past. See you bye. Move on. It's new coach, new quarterback, new players, new faces. Things are going to be different. Might be hard for a little while. We're going to be just fine. Speaking of new faces, mm. Saints signed defensive end Jason, Jason Pierre-Paul Pierre to the practice squad. Oh, <laughs> just when you thought you the, had something and then it isn't. I'm curious to know why they signed him to the practice squad. I'm curious to know why an NFL veteran takes a practice squad deal at that point in his career. I don't know. I'm I'm curious to see what ends up happening with that. We'll uh, we'll figure that around. You have to wonder if maybe that's like one of those unique situations where it's like I'd really like to be a coach, but at the same time I need to learn how to coach. Can yeah. I just be on the practice squad? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Why would you put JPP on a practice squad? It don't make sense to me. But I don't know. When we come back, we're going to kick it around the boot. Uh, we're going to share some love with some of our friends Absolutely. in different parts of the country. We still got basketball coverage to get to, and we got to look back and our predictions moving forward. Still a lot of show to go. Uh, but first, uh, no self-respecting fan likes to play on ugly turf, which is why I and so many others trust my lawn care to Fleur de Green Lawn and Landscaping. Chris and the crew at Fleur de Green do a whole lot more than just mow lawns, which I can tell you that from firsthand experience, they do do well. Uh, but they can also help with landscaping installation, plant and garden maintenance, drainage, irrigation installs and repairs, paved stone patios, fences, and much, much more. For examples of their work, check them out on Facebook at Fleur de Green Lawn and Landscape. Or for more information, call Fleur de Green at 504-240-8044. Email fdglandscape at gmail.com. Tell them David Storm sent you. Fleur de Green Lawn and Landscape. They love what they do, and you will too. I do. McNeil Engineering provides comprehensive design services, including civil engineering, structural engineering, land surveying, high-definition scanning, landscape architecture, and consulting services to the private and public sector. They are committed to delivering timely, responsive, and economically designed solutions. For over 30 years, McNeil Engineering has thrived on establishing personal relationships and providing quality designs to their clients. They immerse themselves in each project and become part of the team. To thoroughly understand the customer's vision, they care about the economics of their projects, and more importantly, the satisfaction of each customer. Project deadlines are an absolute, not a goal, once again, the Boot Sports Network. Thanks, McNeil Engineering. All right, you ready to kick it around the boot? Let's go ahead and kick around that boot. Let's share some love with our friends over at LCU. We love covering a small team in this lovely state. Especially the Louisiana Christian University Wildcats, who overcame a 24-10 deficit in the fourth quarter by scoring 24 unanswered points. Ooh, that's a lot of points. That helped them to defeat Texas Wesleyan on their way to their first ever conference championship in program history. How about that? How about Atta that? boy, boys. Uh, here's a fun fact and an interesting stat that you won't see every day. LCU scored four touchdowns in that game, right? Yep. Each one was capped off with an extra point. No two-point conversions. Absolutely. Every PAT was kicked by a different kicker. <laughs> wow. Every PAT was kicked was kicked by a different kicker. The Wildcats, according to the roster on the website, have between four and five different kickers available for each game. Uh, they also, two of their kickers, Jason Ingram and Hunter Martens, also had field goals in the game. Wow. 
So the Wildcats move on. They challenge for the NAIA championship with their first game against the Baker University Wildcats this Saturday at 1. We told you, Wildcats. We watching. We see you. And we're going to predict the outcome of your game later in the show. For the first time. Yep. So stick around for that. And then uh, speaking of champions, if you'd have told me in week three after a 36 shellacking from Tulane that dropped the Colonels to 0-3 that Nichols would come back to be undefeated in Southland Conference play and win the SLC championship. <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> let me just say I would not have taken that No, bet. not at all. And you know how I am with my bets. Uh, but they did. So shout out to them Bayou boys who are on a roll as of late. Even with one game left to go against last year's champs, ironically, they have locked up the SLC crown. Wow. So, shout out to Nichols there. Well, momentarily, uh, while I wait on the camera to transition back over to me, just whenever you thought everything was going great over on the bluff for the Southern Jaguars, you know, you had a big Wait, game. Unfortunately, you know, didn't quite go there. The Prairie View versus Southern matchup. And you're like, okay, well, we'll at least margin to the Bayou Classic with an even record. Southern announced that they are parting ways with head coach Derek Dooley. That is the weirdest. I don't understand. And that tends to lead to a lot of questions. Um, I honestly, you know, you're looking at this because it's not a, um, at least publicly announced, uh, in improper interaction or anything like that, like you see sometimes with these sudden It wasn't a, like a horribly failing program either. No, like, I mean, there was no real reason that would make sense for him to be terminated at this point of the season. The Bayou Classic is the last game on the schedule. With two weeks to go and your biggest attendance, your biggest draw, the only thing outside of playing a FBS program where you're going to draw big TV audiences, you're playing on NBC for national television, uh, you know... Where did the decision come from? Now, I have some ideas, and they're going to promote from within to cover out the rest of the season, one game that they have left. SWAC does not play for the FCS playoffs like uh, Nichols will later this year, so they don't have to worry about that. They are not at the chance to win the division, so they will not be playing in the Celebration Bowl against the MEAC. So this will be the last game for the Jaguars. But, you know, you were ahead in SWAC play, four and three in SWAC play. Mm -hmm. You had... And I'll give you a quote here from Athletic Director Roman Banks, where he said, We thought it was important to inject ourselves with some energy to make sure that we represent our university well. I didn't think that they were being but, poorly represented at all. What does that mean? So, if we can read between the lines, it seems like there was some sort of internal discrepancy. Something went down, but the university isn't going to come public with it right now. Yeah, That's their right to do so. So be it. But I think this is going to be a major a major hiccup on what was going to be a great weekend to celebrate these Jaguars for what was a pretty good season. You have a chance to have a winning record season, go five and three in the SWAC. Yeah. You're going to miss the SWAC championship by just a mu just a little bit, but that was improvement over where this team has been. This is a chance to really set the program up going into another level with this high quality quote coach that you had that now has been dismissed. So it'll be interesting to see who Southern chooses to replace long-term. So, Roman Banks, the athletic director, in saying that he was going to try to, to inject yeah. themselves with some energy, he announced, and this was another thing about this whole decision that I thought was very weird. Very strange. The assistant head coach, special teams coordinator, and linebacks coach, Terrence Graves, will serve as the interim head coach. Mm -hmm. Okay? He's the interim head coach. The interim head coach. The interim head coach 
for the final game of the season. Which is oftentimes considered for the head coaching job. However, safeties coach Sean Wallace will serve as the acting head coach for the Bayou Classic. What does that mean? What does it mean? Who the hell is the coach? Is it the interim coach for one game? Is he the interim coach after that? Are you going to be looking in the offseason for a full-time head coach? Are we just worried about case, like a contract discrepancy? Like I d- that none of this makes sense to me. Now, Wallace was recently diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer. Correct. He's undergoing chemotherapy. Stage 4 cancer, especially of the pancreas. My father-in-law died of it. Mm-hmm. I, I know a bunch of people who... Uh, pancreatic cancer, especially at stage 4, is yeah. one you don't, you don't come back from, usually. So... You want to talk about an injection of energy? Maybe. 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 Oh, come on. You got to play for the coach. Bah, and give him that that final hoorah. Maybe the word is he's going to be retiring at the end of the season yeah, to go deal like with this. That. Yeah. Maybe that's your shot of energy. Okay, cool. Great story. But why name your why name Terrence Graves the interim head coach then? Is that How interim do you think he's going to remain the head coach for? I mean, from what I understand what I understand is Sean Wallace has had moments where he stepped away from the team due to the illness, right? Yeah. I can only think that this is to completely say, hey, we want to be prepared for anything. There will be a pre-planned coach on the field for the Bayou Classic. I guess. And I guess that's the move. I, I guess so. I, that would have but to be the only thing. Or, then why, why do or you it name? is just the sympathy play. Why do you name the other man the coach? I don't even know. I don't that's, know. That's what I so, don't get. Yeah, big questions on the bluff. Uh you know, this is coming off some of the other programs on campus having some pretty good wins. You know, they got a upset over UNLV on the men's side the other day uh, on the road. So it's a it's a program that has overall been doing pretty well, recovering, uh, working in the right direction, and now you, everyone's scratching their head. So that's all right. We'll talk more about the Bayou Classic when we get to predictions here in just a little yep, bit. Y'all stay tuned week, for that next week. Oh, that's right. It is next yep. week. They they're after this idle week. this week as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, while we're talking about it, our friends with the Baton Rouge Zydeco have been continuing to work through the struggles of a slow start to a new uh, inaugural year, but they were playing the best team in the FPHL, and, and they proved it. And so, they're not winless. They're not winless. They did pick up a win, so they are now 1-6. One one and six. Six. Yes, and I believe we were live for that first win, actually, so that was a yep. pretty fun thing. Maybe now that we're live, we'll see a few more Zydeco wins. But um, overall, the team continues on, and you are seeing uh, the aspects of what it is to be a first-year minor league team. You have a lot of things you have to iron out, a lot of transactions that happen particularly in this league and minor league hockey as a whole people are picked up sold for cash sold for this uh put on loan so if you are uh getting into the zydeco fan base fret not this is a team that has played some of their hardest competition of the year and i think based off how we've seen them play they're going to continue to keep some of these games close and i think they can definitely climb back this season they're not out of it for any means yep and if you can't make it to the raisin canes river center to catch the zydeco in person definitely make sure that you tune into our pal joseph Furtado. He's got the call on WBRZ as well. And on the Zydeco YouTube page. All right, you want to talk about basketball? Let's talk about basketball. Let's talk about basketball. It's time for a little full-court press. You want to start college or you want to start pro? I think we'll start pro with the Pelicans last All night. right, well, let's talk pro. It has actually been a, a kind of a challenging mm. last two weeks for the Pels. Since November 4th, the Pelicans have lost five of their last six, which includes a 104-101 yep. loss to the Rockets in the in-season tournament opener. But 
But hopefully, things could be starting to turn around. Uh, they had a five-game losing streak snapped against the Dallas Mavericks Tuesday in the SKC. I'm saying, did and they the Mavericks? The Mavericks are a good team this Very season. Very good. Very good. Pels beat them 131 to 110, which was also an in-season tournament matchup. Absolutely. So that's great for the record Bringing there. them back even in the in-season tournament group play standings. The Pels had lost Zion for a couple of games for personal reasons. They never did announce what it was. Seems that we had, had anticipated that it had something to do with the birth of his baby. Did you I, see a formal so announcement Sports anywhere? Sports Illustrated picked it up. Some other major outlets picked it up. We will assume that that is congruent. But either way, he's back. Yep, he was back on the court last night with his squad. Scored 19 points in 27 minutes. Shooting just over 50% from the field. I mean, you gotta be good. You yeah. got a baby watching now. And you love to see low minutes, by the way. Yeah, you do. Well, especially when you're seeing high production. In low exactly, minutes. exactly. During the five-game losing skid that the Pels had, they had been without many of their starters due either to rest or injury. We talked about them being yep. without Zion. Trey Murphy III had been out with a knee injury. Jose Alvarado hasn't returned yet from his ankle injury. C.J. McCollum still out from his collapsed lung. And as if that's not enough, the Pels announced Monday that Larry Nance Jr., he's going to be out for at least two weeks while they wait to reevaluate a right rib fracture. At this point, the Pelicans need to ban the phrase, we'll be reevaluating in two weeks. Correct. Herbert Jones was dealing with a lower leg injury, but he seems to have recovered as he was on the court for the Pels against the Mavs. And boy, was he on the court. 31 minutes, 19 points, 6 of 8 from the field, 2 of 4 behind the arch. Uh, he had a hell of a game. And I share a plus-minus ratio of 8, absolutely locking down Luka and Kyrie in the moments where he was put up against them, which kept the Mavericks to 110 points. Indeed. Uh, and, uh, which has been a good sign, this was the thing that I said uh, we were going to look forward to, yeah. a big season from Dyson Daniels, but not only him, Jordan Hawkins. <laughs> Jordan if you Hawkins, don't know him, you better learn the name. Whoo, your boy played 33 minutes against the Mavs, shot just under 50%, had 25.6 boards, three assists. Welcome to the NBA, young man. Did you know that Jordan Hawkins right now, through his first 10 games, has set a record for most threes by a rookie? Come on. Absolutely. Over all the greats you can think of throughout the years, Ray Allen, Reggie Miller, he is the leading three-point shooter amongst rookies through his first 10 games. Yeah, boy. Daddy likey. Daddy exactly. likey that a lot. Exactly. And and just to mention a few other things right here with the Pels real quick, uh, I know we didn't quite, we glanced over it. Uh, Willie Green did not coach this game. I did not catch that. Yeah, Willie Green did not coach this game. He was out with a non-COVID illness. We can assume one of the he had the things. flub, probably. Uh, so that's miserable to see your bench coaches step up. And you know, it, it's a former coach. He has head coach before with the Charlotte Hornets. To see him step up and to be able to go out there and put on, honestly, a, a truly almost perfect coaching performance, put in timely subs, making the right moves, putting in the plays when it had a moment where Dallas was trying to get some momentum, and to see just a shutdown performance, you got to think the Pelicans are in good hands as we go forward and that this team is hiding beneath some of those struggling matchups that we saw last week. Yes, the NBA is a game of runs. Sometimes you will have a couple rough games here in a row, but to see the Pelicans still have it within them, and they're still, you know, it's a very early 5-6 and six record, but... With coming up, I think they have a pretty good chance to be able to bring that back even. Yep. We are going to get a chance to take a deeper dive into the Pelicans, who are going to be hosting the Denver Nuggets in another in-season tournament matchup at the SKC. Uh, we'll get to that. That's going to be one of the last games we yep. predict Absolutely. later on today. But glad to see them back on the winning side. Hope that trend continues. 
Speaking of on the winning Ooh. side, your LSU Lady Tigers basketball team, outstanding, and led by freshman, freshman. acquisition Michaela Williams. Williams. Not Angel Holy Reese? Ca- Not no. Haley Van Lith? No. Not Anissa Morrow? No. A nobody before a few weeks ago. Now, to be fair, two-time Gatorade Player of the Year in the state of Louisiana. I mean, when you're talking about... On the national On state. the national scale, playing for a defending national championship team... To be able to step in and When have you have names like Angel Reese and Haley Van Lith and the rest. Yes. Uh, Flo Joe Johnson. Uh, all of those players. Nobody was expecting us to be talking about Michaela Williams <laughs> the way that we are talking about Michaela Williams right now. Her season My stats, goodness. she's averaging 22 points a game, just over four rebounds, about two assists, shooting 62.3% from the field. And in this last game against Kent State, lit it, it on fire. 42 points in 36 minutes. She was 62.5% three-point shooter. She was unstoppable. Absolutely. just. And this is a unique game that LSU does every year. If you're not aware, this is the field goal game. I'm sorry, the field trip game. Mm -hmm. So this is at 1130, and it's full of elementary school kids. LSU gives them the opportunity to come in, sort of see what it's like to be at a college sporting event, all that. It's a very wholesome environment, and to see (laughs) – Michaela Williams, we know you just left high school, but my goodness, did you not have to put on a show for the kids? I mean, she did, though. She did, though. This is, this is the type of performance you see from the top players in the women's game. Players like Kaylin Clark, Angel Reese, those who have had a chance to establish themselves, really develop their game. To see this from a freshman coming straight out of high school and, and to think, you know, this is not the NBA. This is not the men's basketball side. There will not be a... I'm just going to leave after my first year. Yep. You have this for three additional seasons. Mm-hmm. We're talking about someone, and I'm going to make a bold statement here. I think this is someone who's going to set all-time records. I agree. This is someone who oh, could be. She will be, breaking, she will be breaking LSU records. Oh, beyond LSU. Between sophomore, junior year. This is someone. Oh, you think she's going to be breaking all-time collegiate records? Oh, I think the way how Kim Mulkey has the plan for her set up, I mean, this is someone that you could see easily rival in the men's side of the game, the ranks of a Shaq, the ranks of a, you know, uh, you want to think like maybe what, and I'm I'm trying to not put too much pressure because we really don't want to do that comparison game to somebody so young, but (laughs) this is someone I think that honestly could just be the standard for women's basketball. The Jaden Daniels of women's basketball? Jaden Daniels, may I say, Jordan, you know, on the level of... Come on! And I know, I don't like to do that. I don't like to... And this is against Kent State. This is against Kent State. Let's not... Are going to call her McCoby Williams from now on? Look, she's (laughs) averaging, even in the games that aren't against a Kent State level of opponent. Charles Barkley level? We could be talking Charles Barkley level. He fought Godzilla. Look it up. I know he did. <laughs> did he win? We'll never know. He did. He bought him a pair of Jordans. and then <laughs> I saw that movie. It was terrible. It was yeah. terrible. It was terrible. It was terrible. But look, if you're averaging 17 points against a team like Colorado, who is now showing themselves to be a top 10 level opponent, if you're going to see this in SEC play, where it's 17, 20 points a game in your freshman year, where you're not even the star on the team, 
Get ready, Tiger Nation. you got a golden era ahead of you. She's about to be a star on that team if she's not already. Golden era. LSU girls basketball. Uh, we talked about that upset 92-78 loss to Colorado to start the season. Since then, the three back. straight wins, 112-55 over Queens, 109-47 against Mississippi Valley State, 109-79 versus Kent State. And boy, oh boy, do I feel bad for Southeastern on the 17th. Uh, because they got LSU coming to the uh, to the student union or whatever the the name is out student there now. Center? I think so. Something like uh, that. No, they somebody bought the naming rights. Oh, did they? It good it for like you, an Southeastern. Air conditioning center. Or yeah, good for like. you, Southeastern. It's gonna be ugly. Batting down the hatches. Uh, Tigers are beating Lions that day in a bad, bad way. I and think. as we talk about the men's game, we talk about what's to come and what has happened. Are you willing to? Lend an ear to what happened to the LSU Fighting Tigers men's team. Tell me about it. Well, they're going to play tomorrow, but this weekend they had a little bit of a slip up. Right, row. But it was against one of our in-state opponents. So we can give some credit here, but we're going to have to speak very bluntly. The LSU Tigers fell in a game against the Nichols Colonels. Uh-oh. And their I- young emerging coach, um... He's not too much older than producer Brett or I, maybe a few years at most. Really? Yeah. Uh, and let me tell you, watching this game, Nichols had a 24-point lead in the first half. Now, LSU did manage to show a strong effort, come back in the second half, take the lead, but ultimately lost by two. With a last-second shot by Nichols, I mean, it was truly a uh, – 0.8 seconds left on the board? Yeah. Uh, you know, sort of a nail-biter as you got to the end there, and – this, I think, shows that as an overall talking point, the, the quality of basketball in, say, Louisiana is improving. Now, yes. obviously, when you see your leader with LSU taking a loss, that's kind of hard to watch. Tulane is the highest-ranked team in the state right now, just as a matter of fact, as far as when it comes to chances to make the tournament. But the torchbearer will always be LSU, the flagship of the state. When Nichols can come in on a Friday night before a football game, we have a relatively well-attended game, and put up a just absolute, like you were saying earlier, shellacking to where you're leading by 24 going into halftime almost, that's not a that's not a fluke. Nichols is going to be a very impactful team in the Southland Conference. I had my doubts with this being a first-year head coach, but we're going to have to keep an eye on them. They could be winning some multiple Southland Conference tournament. It was a tremendously defensively played game. It was. The, neither team got over 70 points in that game. 68-66 was the final. That's one of the lowest scoring basketball games I've seen in history in a long time. Yeah, and I, I mean, the college game is back and forth. You see a lot of weird things with that, but like LSU was 3 of 19 on three-pointers. At the free throw line, 73%. Not terrible, but not amazing. You saw Nichols at 93% at the free throw line. 40% from three, 42% from the field. So they had some missed shots when it come down low. But, hey, you know, watch out for the Colonels. Watch out for the entire state of Louisiana. The basketball game is up. Hopefully, you know, this means we're getting two or three tournaments, uh, two or three tournament teams when the time comes. But, hey, it's a fun time to be a basketball fan in the state of Louisiana. Indeed it is. Lots more basketball to play, and we will get into it as Absolutely. it happens. Absolutely. Are you ready to look back? I think we're finally there. Let's go ahead and do it. You should not be ready to look back. I know, because it's not, it's not my week. It was definitely not your week. I tried, and it wasn't my week. All right, so here we go. We're just going to jump into it. We'll start with Southern versus Prairie View. Let's rip the Band-Aid. 
the final for Southern versus Prairie View was 27-21 Prairie View. Donald, you said 27-24 in overtime. Yep. Outstandingly close. You also said Southern would win. Yep. I also said Southern would win. We both picked the wrong team. So the winner in this one is all by virtue of uh, of point point differentials. You said 27-24. It's tough to beat. You remember what I said? Go ahead and tell. 27-21. Right on the money. Ding! If I would have picked the right right damn team, I'd have taken the double ding. I'm not taking the double ding. I'm only going to take a single ding. Single ding. Uh, because I did get the fine, I did get the final score dead on right. I just Point got the team spread wrong. zero. So good for me for that one. That's one ding for me. Game two, Nichols versus Lamar. We both bought into the Nichols hype in this one. The final was thirty-seven twenty-four. I said thirty-one to twenty, which had me ten points off. You said twenty-eight to twenty. <laughs> which was 13 points off. You bet on the low, you should have gone on the high. Yep. If you'd have gone three points over, uh, you'd have had that one. So that's two dings for me. Southeastern versus Texas A&M Commerce. None of us saw this coming. No. Well, uh, you kind of sort of saw bit, this coming. A little bit. Uh, the final in that one was 52-14 to 14 Southeastern. You, We both gave Southeastern the win in this one. Yep. You said Southeastern was going to score 41, and I thought you were crazy. Uh and then you said that uh, Texas A&M Commerce was going to score 35. And it's that score, the 35 from A&M Commerce that puts you off. You were off by 32. Mm-hmm. I said Southeastern 31-13. So it was real close. Very close there. Uh, to the Texas A&M score, but a little further away. Uh, but overall, it was only off by 22 total. So uh, that's three dings in a row for me. Tulane versus Tulsa. Final in that one, we talked about it earlier, 24-22, entirely too close. Yep. Uh, you thought it was going to be a much – we both kind of did. I, I thought mean, it was going to be a much higher you know. scoring game. You said Tulane 41-26. to You were off by 21. I said Tulane 38-24 was only off by 16 in that one. So it's bing, four dings for your boy. Producer Brett, you got your cans on? You ready for this one? This was the only game that you dialed into last week. What was it? It was LSU Florida. The final score in that was 52-35. to First and foremost, shout out to Charlotte Hall, one of our users. She threw in a a prediction for that one. She thought it was going to be a lower scoring game. She said LSU 28-10. She was off by 49. Not quite. We love you, Charlotte, but you were way off. Um, So, Donald, you said 45-18. Yes. Not too bad in the, the LSU score. 17 off in the Florida score. That puts you off a total of 24. I said LSU 41-24. I was 22 off there, so I was closer. Yeah. The brain of Brett, he said 42-17 LSU. He was off by 28. That was wrong. Yes, you were wrong. But the simulation, your boy with the video game numbers, his simulation was 36-35 LSU wins. So it nailed... The Florida score yep. dead on. He was only 16 points off of LSU's. That was the lowest point differential. Producer Brett with the simulation gets the ding on How that How about that? Hiding I, behind the camera. I here. would like to thank EA Sports, something I don't often do. <laughs> <laughs> the final game that we predicted, Saints-Vikings, was 27-19 Minnesota. Again, we all picked New Orleans in this one. Even Charlotte Hall jumped in. Yep. She said NOLA 24-17. She was 15 points yeah, off. Not too bad Not there. too bad. You said 34-27. You went a different way. Mm. We're also 15 points yeah. off. 
I said 27-23, New Orleans. We all picked Nola, so it was by point differential. 27-23 versus 27-19. Four points off. So ding for me. That's five for me this week, one for Brett, and a sad sorry goose egg for Donald. This is a, a low point for me in my career. I would like to uh, take a moment to reflect and to recalibrate because uh, i got to come back and get some wins. That's all right. This is only the second week so far this season you've had no wins. <laughs> you don't you don't have to mention the first one. All right. The overall totals right now, producer Brett improves to eight of thirty-two. Donald is at twenty-three of sixty-three, and I'm at thirty-four of sixty-three. Slow and steady. The, uh, Slow and steady Hey, look, there's still some college football to play. The gap is ever increasing. We've got seven games on the docket to yes, predict we this do. time around. So if you have the perfect week, shut me out. That's right. There you right go. Back you make up it. a little speed. Right First game, Nichols at Southeastern. Mm. I want to match up this one's going to be. This year's Southland Conference champions, the Nichols State Colonels, who are playing lights out right now, winning six of their last seven with that one loss by four points to Southeast Missouri three weeks back. They are facing last year's champs, the SLU Lions, who after starting the season 0-7 are on a three-game winning streak. And while their wins have been convincing, the teams that they have beaten are not. No matter what happens in this one, the conference championship has already been determined. This yep. one, for something potentially almost as meaningful to these two teams, the right to call yourselves River Bell, Bell Champions. Last year, on the way to becoming Southland Conference champions, the Lions blasted the Colonels 40-17. to Now, Nichols has a chance to rub a little salt in the wound. They can march into Tiger Sta- excuse me, not Tiger Ooh. Stadium, Strawberry, Strawberry. Stadium. With their newly printed SLC championship merch mm-hmm. and payback last year's whooping against an SLU team that really hasn't risen to any significant challenge this year. Y'all know I'm a Southeastern Lions alum and I do love my Lions, but Nichols it's gonna be a twenty one to fourteen. What what? What? Nichols twenty one to fourteen. Nichols twenty one fourteen. Out Keeping of the shadows and right into the right. action. Brett NSU twenty one fourteen. Uh, it's going to be a tough night, I think, in Hammond, America. You want to hear my mm. prediction first? You want to drop your prediction? Of course, it's Nichols, forty-five twenty-three. Forty-five twenty-three. Well, let's let's take a moment here and let's think about the situation. Nichols has secured their automatic bid to the FCS playoffs. Mm-hmm. Nichols has secured their SCL championship. Winners against all odds. Winners. So now you have Southeastern. Who has even their record in the southeast in the Southland Conference? Mm-hmm. They're now three and three, a chance to have a winning Southland Conference season, and to make up for what was a rough start. Is Nichols going to be fully up for this game? Are they going to be fully into it? They're waiting on selection Sunday. They're going to get to know where they're going for their playoff matchup. They haven't been to the playoffs in almost four years. There's a lot of excitement over there in that team down in Thibodeau, but. The Lions are feisty. They're ready for a win. I think Nichols wakes up. They have just enough in the tank to finish it. I think they're going to take the victory. I got them at 33-27. to 27. Okay, Nichols 33-27. Yep. Dig it. All right. Number two, Louisiana Christian versus Baker University. For the first time on the Boot Sports Network. Indeed. 
The newly crowned Sooner Conference champions, the number 21-ranked Louisiana Christian Wildcats, head to Kansas to take on the number 20-ranked Baker University Wildcats. Whole lot of take cats. a stab at who's going to win this one? I will. It'll be Louisiana the Wildcats. Christian. It's going to be the Wildcats. 31. I haven't even gotten 17. into the analysis. You're just pulling stuff out your ass. All I right. am. You know what? Fine. Fine. I am what, what is it? this. Louisiana, actually, you said the Wildcats are favorites. We're going to go Wildcats 31-17. You said Louisiana Christian first. Yep, you've so. already submitted yourself. You're on record. Fine. Louisiana Christian 31-17. You're on record live on the Boots Force Network. All right. This Baker team is 8-2 and two overall with an offense that's averaging over 420 yards a game and 35.7 points. They also have a running game that accounts for, on average, about 190 yards per game. So it seems like a very tough opponent to start an NAIA football championship run with until you take a look at the under-ranked, underrated LCU Wildcats who are averaging 42 points per game, allowing only 17. They're also averaging 480 yards per game, holding opponents to less than 250. They've scored 57 touchdowns this year to Baker's 39. Mm. This LCU team is going to show Baker and the world that they are tired of being overlooked and underrated. I do believe they have everything they need to truly contend for the NAIA championship this year. Baker's about to find out the hard way. Mm. I'm picking LCU 42 to 31. Wow. So look, LCU has had a great season so far. Highly underrated. They're our friends. You can't say that they're about to fail in this first Oh, I wouldn't game. dare say that. However, I'm going to look at the situation. This is a playoff game. Everyone's up. Everyone's awake. The NAIA, a lot of people are hearing about this maybe for the first time. This is about the quality of Division II NCAA football. For reference, about 1,500 students attend LCU. It's not very large schools. The budgets are very different. But this Wildcat team has the chance to take a moment to say, hey, look, we know that we're not on everybody's radar, but we're going to make ourselves be put on your radar. They're playing for the pride of Louisiana. They're playing for the pride of Pineville. Yeah, they are. All of Sinla. We hear you. We see you. And we're going to see the Wildcats. Which ones? <laughs> That's the joke. No, it's going to be LCU. All right. 38. And I'm going to take Baker to keep this one close. 34. I like it. All right. I like it. Moving on. Game three on the docket. ULL versus Troy. It's a battle for the Sun Belt between the Cajuns and the Trojans. Troy is having a great season. They're currently 8-2, and 5-1 and one in the top spot in Sun Belt West. Absolutely. Only perfect James Madison has a better overall Sun Belt record. ULL sits at 500 at 5-5, five and 2-4 five, and four in conference. They've lost their last two, which were against Southern Miss and Arc State. Conference opponents that they did actually have some legit chances to beat. Sadly, nobody's given them a chance in this one. Troy is a 16.5 point favorite at home. When you look at the stats, you can see why. Troy is doubling UL's production in every major offensive category, and the defense has only allowed an average of eight points per game in their last five 14, 10, 13, 0, and 3. As much as I hate to say it, and I know this is why you play the games, I think UL is going to be simply outmatched in this one. I would not mind being wrong. But I'm picking Troy big, 38-13. Well, ULL 21-6. And on the same principle, I hope producer Brett is doing this. I have ULL winning 
But I oh, have, I have them keeping it close. I got them thirty twenty seven. ULL thirty twenty seven. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter. But I, if ULL wins, well, three now to that nothing, he's in it, I oh, have to actually that's try. Right. That's right. You right. Because I could have picked ULL fifty to zero, but would you? All have? The, no, not at all. All the fun <laughs> is ruined. All the fun is ruined. Damn you, producer Brett. All right. ULM versus Ole Miss. Ole Miss. All right, since you're just pulling numbers out of your ass, I'm just going to let you give us the prediction before I even get into the analysis. Well, uh, first I have to say, go to heck, Ole P. Go to heck. <laughs> Thank With you. With that being He's said. He's learning his sensors after last Ole, week. Meanwhile, Ole I've been lighting up the... <laughs> Ole, go to hell, Ole Piss. Go to hell. But um, Ole Piss will win this game. Um, I'm going to say they're going to win it. Who are they playing again? ULM. ULM. Oh, God. It's gonna be the Warhawks of Louisiana. It's not going to be close. I, I, I'm going to say 47 to 10. Okay. You want to you just throw a score out there? You, Look, want, you I, want some analysis? I enjoy. We don't, we don't need analysis. Oh, no. No, we, we don't do. Need we do. We do. This and this is, we this don't. is, this is we what's don't. important. Listen. Ole Miss is a team that is being led by Lane Kiffin's dog. And you say, what? (laughs) But actually, if you look at the statistics, whenever Lane Kiffin's dog is on the field, they have been doing absolutely wonders this year. Now, we know Ole Miss is coming off their loss against Georgia. Somebody needs to kidnap that dog. Not to cut him off, however, I will, because – if y'all haven't looked up on YouTube the sideline celebrations with Lane Kiffin's kid with the fire extinguisher, you should because it is the cutest thing in the world. And while there is that, we saw that Ugga remains the strongest dog in the Southeastern Conference. <laughs> However, dogs are susceptible to something. Okay. There's something that generally a lot of dogs, sometimes a small dog, Although Lane Kiffin's dog is a little bit of a medium dog. But after this week, they're feeling kind of small. And I have that small dog mm-hmm. being taken by the hawk. Okay. Taken not through the air, because remember, it's a medium-sized dog. Right, and you ain't flying away with it. So I think we're going to see a medium-sized performance. I think ULM will keep this game close in the first quarter. They will have at least a tie. But by the end of this game, it will be... The Ole Miss Rebels, I have them winning 55-21. to 55-21. Which okay. is honestly a great performance by the Warhawks if they can manage to accumulate that title. So the ESPN matchup predictor gives ULM a 1.1% chance of winning. Oh, no, they're not winning. No. So you're saying there's a chance? No, not really, Lloyd Christmas. No, not really. Uh, the books have the Warhawks at 37-point dogs with a 61.5 over-under. Mathematically, that works out to about 45 to 17. Mm. Um, I'm going to adjust that a smidge and take a little bit closer to the under and go 41-17 Ole Miss. 41-17 Ole Miss. 41-17 Ole Miss. Okay. All right, three games to go. We're at Tulane and FAU, Florida Atlantic. With the Saints on a bye, you'd think that the picks would be a little easier on the heart, but this one more than makes up for that one. Mm. In the last three games, 9-1 Tulane has beaten teams with records of 4-6, and 2-8, and eight, and 3-7 and seven by a combined seven points. Two, three, and two. They now head to Boca Raton to face a 4-6 and six FAU Owls team that's 3-3 three and three in the AAC. And on paper, should be an easy beat, but lately, 
I just don't have a lot of confidence in the Tulane defense. Are you saying that they're a little too lame to win? Uh, no, you are. No, no. Yeah. Uh, but I am saying that this is your last chance, Tulane, to get your affairs in order. Because if you can't get back into early season defensive form, I don't think you will stand a chance the following week against UTSA. I think UTSA will show the world just how vulnerable you are. Mm. Um, and they will shatter your hopes of repeating as AAC champs if you can't figure it out and get it back together. The books have Tulane by nine in this game this week. I hope they're right, but as of late, I have concerns. I'm picking Tulane to win because they somehow managed to, uh, but I'm keeping it close, 24-20. So, Tulane. 34-27, Tulane. Are you saying that they're too lame? Yes, they're too lame for me to care. You know, you're wearing that Tulane blue shirt. Are you sure you really haven't been considered? This is a white shirt. That, sir. Sure it is. I'm not telling you how to do your laundry, but what I am telling you (laughs) is that the Tulane Green Wave, who enjoy powder blue more than the average green team, uh, will be showing up with a strong performance against the Boca Raton uh, FAU Owls. Panthers. No? Owls. 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 Panthers in the Conference USA, the SAD Conference. And what ultimately this means, Tulane wins. They continue to have a chance at what next year will be the college football playoff. This year, maybe the Orange Bowl. And with that, I am taking Tulane once again before they make their return trip to Florida this fall. That's my prediction. The Orange Bowl. I have them winning 35 to 22. All right. I would. You guys are both close. 30s to 20s. I would love to see it. Uh, it'd be nice. They hadn't done it in three weeks, and it makes me nervous. Moving on, LSU, Georgia State. You want you want please go first. You want to just go first? Just you go throw out an NCAA prediction. Of course. You oh. Wait, no. That no. was the only thing that you scored on. I it's actually a fun reason. It's I actually a fun reason. I, I like this. I, I have an explanation. Okay. So, um, one time at uh, band camp. Yes. Okay. No. Uh, the United States played in an international league of American football. Oh, this is not the fun reason I was and, hoping for. And we were. Um, in the end, we played France, and I'm sure you can imagine how that went. And you can find that uh, final game on YouTube. It was fantastic. And that's the day I learned that YouTube actually allows rape on their platform. Wow. And I don't <laughs> encourage such actions. Sweet. So oh. I chose not to play this week. All right. We all are about to have to find a new place to watch this podcast because YouTube's uh, about to yeah. cancel us. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so well, that's your why score, you, though? Uh, my score prediction for LSU – I, I, I think it's going to be if, – if we wanted to, we could score 200 on them. But I'm going to guess it's going to be in the low 70s. 74 to 6, LSU. Jesus Christ. Um, let's, let's back up a little bit. All right, Panthers and Tigers in Death Valley. I just realized that LSU doesn't have a defense this year. I'm going to go ahead and say No, you've already submitted. I'm no, I'm sorry. You've already 74 sub- to 17. No takes these back I'll, seats. I'll give him 17 cuz he's not going to hit 74. Okay. There's no chance that's happening. Um this one is going to be ugly though if you're a Georgia State fan. It's likely the only game the Tigers will play against a team with a Georgia in their name this season and I have a feeling they're going to do to Georgia State what they wish they could have done to Georgia. Jaden Daniels is still playing to prove he is without a doubt the greatest player in college football. 
Not that there's any doubt from anyone here. And in a game where LSU really has nothing to lose and everything to gain for Jaden, I'd expect them to ball out and go every bit of the 31 points they're favored by. Donald, do you want to weigh in on this one first? Or you want me to go? I'll go ahead and take care of it. Um, as the camera is currently on me, and I'm looking deep into your eyes, Georgia State, it would be remiss if I did not mention the home away from home, the second team, and that is the team you lost to, the App State Mountaineers. From Boone, North Carolina. Carolina, who came in in a game where it was supposed to be very tight into your home that we will know as its real name, Turner Field in Atlanta, Georgia, that you have converted into the most unique college football stadium in the country. You lost 42-14. to 14. Okay, Sunbelt play, you had a bad day. But you look at that performance. You're on the verge here of trying to have a winning season. You've had some very good play. I've been very concerned with your play throughout this year. But you just showed me a team that I follow in App State, who is not a very strong offensive team, that you are weak in your defense this week. You are weak currently against a team that has no business beating you by almost 30 points. Jaden Daniels is on a mission. Malik Neighbors has a drive. And Brian Thomas is just having fun. More than likely, Logan Diggs will return for this game and unleash the backfield. I'm going to make what some might consider my most outlandish prediction yet on this show. You think LSU's going to break 80, don't you? I would do that if it was anybody other than the team that we have. I don't know if we'll get enough possessions to get to 80. But I do know that I'm expecting LSU to put up 800 yards of offense. 800 yards of offense. Because as much as Jaden Daniels is able to put up 600 by himself on SEC caliber opponents, There is a job to do. We've already been poked. The bear has been prodded and insulted. I see the Tigers winning this one. 68. to 27. 68 points out of 800 yards of offense. That would be a thing to watch. Very enjoyable. God bless it. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, I simply had LSU at (laughs) 58-24. Yeah. That is, I tell you what, that would be a fun game to see. I almost kind of hope they that you do ding that one. All right. Our last game of the week, NBA back at go ball. No Saints. So no we're Saints. taking the other pro team in New Orleans. Correct. Pels Nuggies, 11-17. It's an in-season tournament game. Pels are finally starting to get some power back with the return of Zion, Herbert Jones, and others. It does make a difference. We're <laughs> yes. not getting bad production out of Dyson Daniels and Jordan Hawkins off the bench, as we discussed, but it's just not the same team as it is when B.I. is leading the charge with as many of our available starters as possible. And in this in-season tournament, every game matters. This Friday, the Pels take the Nuggets in the SKC on that fancy new in-season tournament court. The Skeleton Court. The Skeleton Court. 
The Pels, as we mentioned, are just getting back to winning, whereas the Nuggies are 9-2, and two, which does include a 134-116 to victory over a depleted Pelicans team back on November 6th. In that game, Nikola Jokic passed LeBron James and Jason Kidd by tallying his 108th career triple-double. 35 points, 14 boards, 12 assists. If the Pels have any chance of beating the Nuggets, they're going to have to find a way to limit Jokic which lately has not been easy for anyone to do. Indeed. That being said, producer Brett, you in on this one? He's very far. He's running, popping the mic. Uh, let's go Nuggets. I don't know anything about basketball, so I'm. You just... don't know anything about football, sir. I was considered head coach. <laughs> <Math>. um, <laughs> uh, like I, I, I don't think I've ever watched or, or actively paid attention to a basketball game in my life. With that being said, I'm just going to say 18 to 23. Shh. Nuggets? Shh, we're going to let that okay. go. Wait, we're going to let wait, that wait, No, wait, we're letting no, that no, go. three-pointers are a thing. We're letting yeah, that go. No, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, yeah, no. No, ahead. no, please. No, wait, no. I'm going to go 18 to 32 Nuggets. 32 to 18 Nuggets. Okay. 32 to 18. Oh, no, it's, it's mathematically possible. It's just highly unlikely. Yes. Especially when the Pelicans are averaging over 100 points a game. So... <laughs> should have asked him if he wanted to bet on it. Oh, he would have had a fun <laughs> wager with that one. Oh, Lord. So, um, to give the real look here, Nadu Marshall returning to the Pelicans, surprisingly, I think, has been the most impactful part of all this. Uh, did you see what the knife did the other day against the uh, old Dallas Mavericks? I did not. He hit a three-quarter court shot to end the first quarter. Nice. Yep. Had a boy, kid. So, Nadu Marshall returning to the lineup as well as Herb Jones has created a defensive presence for the Pelicans that was lacking during their losing skid.
Boots to Balls is for entertainment purposes only. This podcast does not render legal or financial advice. Remember to bet responsibly. And if you or anyone you know is struggling with problem gambling, reach out to your local gambling helpline.